0: Welcome to our podcast channel, brought to you by the British Chamber of Commerce in Singapore. Subscribe to our channel as we provide you with curated content and in-depth conversations by industry experts and leaders across Singapore, ASEAN and the United Kingdom. In the next episode of Meet the Committee, we sit down with Talia Georgiou, Managing Partner Healthcare Advisory for Asia Care Group and the chair of our newly formed Healthcare and Life Science Committee. Talia shares about the committee's goals and plans for the future, as well as new models of healthcare, the digitization of the industry and what the healthcare landscape looks like for businesses in Asia. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Today, we're joined by Talia Georgiou, Managing Partner, Health Advisory at Asia Care Group and our Chair of the uh, Healthcare Life Sciences Committee. A very warm welcome to you, Talia. Great to have you with us.
1: Thanks, David. Good to be here.
0: So very warm welcome. I guess just to get us started, tell us a little bit about Asia Care Group. Uh, I know you're relatively new members. It'd be good to get a bit of an understanding about both the business and, and yourself.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So we're a specialist management consulting firm. We only work in the healthcare space um, and we only cover the Asia-Pacific markets. Um, And within that, we work across the the industry spectrum. So everything from health insurers through to pharma providers, health investors and and so on. Um, And we tend to work in the the strategy space. So, um, you know, market access, um, uh, new models of care, new product development and, and so on. Um, and uh, Yes, you mentioned that the committee is, uh, is very new. Um, it's been formally um, in place for I think just over a year now, um, and during that time we've been trying to, to build it up and to consider uh, what we really want to focus on in terms of um, advocacy work, um, in terms of, of, of remit, and to ensure that the members get uh, the, the best uh, value um, out of the, the committee.
0: Great stuff. You're members of both the British Chamber here in Singapore, but also Hong Kong. So, I mean, first of all, before we dive into some of the committee, why is the Chamber so important for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, I think the most obvious connection is, um, as you can tell by the accent, I, I am British and a number of members of the team are British. So although not a, not a UK company, we do have a lot of connectivity there. Um, and we support um, a wide range of UK companies, um, including the UK government, Look at um, the healthcare markets in this part of the world. Um, so, being part of the British Chamber is just a, a logical, um, I guess, extension of our, you know, of our, our business and uh, and our connectivity with uh, those players. And it's been great. Um, I mean, Hong Kong um, is, again, it's a very new committee. It's probably only about three or four years old, but it's uh, it's been a very valuable avenue for bringing together not just UK companies, but, but companies um, that, that generally have an interest in, in in healthcare in one form or another.
0: Brilliant stuff. It would be remiss of me not to thank you for all of your support and your hard work in getting the committee off the ground. It's, it's a really great, diverse group looking at some really sort of core key themes that the Chamber uses a, a, as a platform, as, a, as an opportunity. Who's on, who's on the committee? Who are your members at the moment?
1: We have um, a number of health insurers, um, Prudential, Bupa. We also have uh, those that work in the insurance space, uh, brokers like Aon. Uh, we also have some of the health providers um, that, that, that operate. I mean, right through from uh, small clinics up to uh, those that have got um, you know multi-site operations going on. Uh, we also have uh, some of the big pharma companies represented: uh, GSK, Roche. Um, and some others. Um, and we have a range of, I, I would say, professional services that, that relate to the healthcare space. Um, so we have other consultancy firms like KPMG. We also have some of the lawyers um, that work in medical mal- malpractice or uh, maybe IP related to uh, healthcare like Bird and Bird. Um, so it's, like you say, it's a very diverse group. We're a broad church um, and we welcome um, all those that are kind of working in or around um, health and, and social care.
0: Can you give us a bit of a flavour of uh, some of the key themes that the committee's looking at at the moment?
1: Yes, um, so we've taken a bit of time just to um, understand each other's perspectives and come together and and see which areas we're collectively interested in Um, and and no surprise I I guess given the diversity we really want to uh, be able to tackle some of the big issues Um, so we're looking at Um, New models of care, particularly where healthcare is going to be, you know, in 5, 10, uh, maybe even 20 years time. And that encompasses, you know, a whole range of things from digitization of healthcare through to precision medicine, precision therapies, and some of the new new tech that's being um, evolved. Um, We're also looking at some specific issues um, uh, like diabetes, like cancer, um, which are major um, causes of of mortality and uh, um, disability within uh, Singapore and Southeast Asia as well. Um, And then, of course, um, as you would expect, we're looking at market access issues. The remit of the committee actually is not just Singapore, it's Southeast Asia, um, and that's because a number of the companies um, that are part of the group um, do have a a regional remit. Um, And so we're looking at different um, opportunities and risks uh, within some of the emerging markets like Indonesia, like Malaysia, um, and trying to help um, understand um, what we can do as a a chamber to perhaps advocate for improved market access for, for firms. Um, So so these are some of the things that we're beginning to become involved in. Um, Mental health is also something which has been very topical, particularly um, as COVID has has hit us. There's been a a huge increase in the need for uh, mental health services. And generally speaking, across Asia, um, mental health is still very taboo and uh, poorly organised. So it's something, uh, again, that the committee is looking to explore a bit more and perhaps put the recommendations
0: forward to, to governments around the region. It's great to see that uh, regional perspective as well that the Chamber can provide and, you know, we are working collaboratively with our, with our counterparts in Southeast Asia through the Britain in Southeast Asia Association, which is, which is fantastic. Singapore's obviously a very established market, right? You know, it's, it's got quite a, a robust health system. I think we've all learned that, we've all been beneficial of that through the COVID situation and, and, and similar, similar to Hong Kong. What are the challenges more broadly around other Southeast Asian countries?
1: Yes, um, it's a a really good question. Um, I think in Southeast Asia, um, some some of the issues are to do with financing. Uh, So if you look at markets like Indonesia, they spend about uh, 2% GDP on healthcare, uh, whereas Singapore is about 6%, which is still actually low um, in comparison with Um, the UK for example which spends 11% GDP so there's a lot of health financing issues um, and there's lots of issues which then um, relate to that whole issue Uh, so uh, things like uh, for example um, inconsistencies in 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 access so one day something will be um, within um, social insurance uh, schemes inclusion and the next day it won't be because there's had to be some immediate cost containment measure that makes it a very unpredictable environment for companies Enter. There's also um, a a high degree, I would say, of domestic preference. So uh, international firms do have some market access issues. There's some IP issues. Um, IP is not as well protected. um, So for telemedicine firms and so forth, there are issues around going into into those markets. Um, And then there's also um, some issues around model of care, uh, which we're also beginning to, to look at. So there's um, within Southeast Asia, there's a big preference for going to hospitals rather than going to GPs or to um, other professionals within the community, um, and so there's this um, sort of model of care which is grossly inefficient as well. So there's lots and lots of different issues that that we could tackle, um, and that we are trying to tackle in different ways. But yeah, that gives you a, a kind of brief overview of, of some of the things that we're we're beginning to get stuck into.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's really, really exciting. Um, and we were talking to a, a company about four or five weeks ago that was uh, they, they developed the, the COVID testing chip. And I think one of the questions that came out of that meeting was around the advancement of technology and how technology is really shaping the, the consumer's use of, of, of testing various viruses and the lesser need to go to a GP. How do you see sort of technology really impacting this sector? I'm, I'm thinking of other countries as well, like Indonesia, where there's such a, a disbursement of people all over the place. Are there, are there big opportunities here for companies that are investing in, in technology?
1: There are um, uh, huge opportunities because, like you say, um, geography is a, is a major barrier to accessible care um, in lots of parts of, of Asia. And it will remain so for at least the next uh, 10 years, maybe maybe longer. So there's a definite need for um, technology to to bridge that gap. Um, I would say it's becoming a slightly saturated space. Um, Lots of people have been designing uh, telemedicine platforms for quite a long time. You know, I think if you're probably not in the market now, it would be difficult to to come in and compete unless you can find something innovative to do in and above kind of what the existing tech can do. Um, So absolutely, it's the way of the future opportunities I think would be would be more questionable.
0: Is it, is it, are there lots of, sort of cultural challenges and as you were saying in terms of the way that people people engage with the healthcare system?
1: Yeah cultural challenges on both sides so so patient um, side um, which actually has been broken down considerably by COVID so uh, typically there has been a resistance in Asia apart from China actually I would say China's slightly different but the rest of Asia um, there has been a resistance to engage with digital channels, and that's not just um, telemedicine, that's your online banking, that's uh, online retail. It's all, it's all growth, but it's not the kind of growth you would expect. Um, and there is this kind of preference for in-person and, and there's trust issues and, and so forth. But there's also some resistance on the part of healthcare professionals um, who prefer um, in-person uh, contact and who need a bit of time to to sort of recalibrate, how do you deliver care in a digital world? That's not something that people have been taught at medical school. Um, So there's been resistance on both sides. And I think what COVID has done is forced people um, to try to to sort of try and adopt uh, these different types of uh, technologies. So um, that's one good positive, I guess, to come out of this situation. But uh, yeah, there's definitely
0: resistance. It's been quite incredible seeing how a lot of the different countries have been managing the COVID situation, right? So, you know, Singapore's done it very differently to the UK. Um, Hong Kong's still fairly open in terms of the way it's operating. Um, we're always sort of comparing and looking at the numbers across China, Australia, New Zealand, South Korea. I won't put you on the spot and ask you uh, which, which, which countries handle it the best, but there, there must be opportunities in the situation, as you were alluding to, around how the industry is going to move forward and different adoptions of technology and, uh, and models. Is, is there something you can share around some of the differences and where you see the industry moving forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um there's been lots of things that have come out of COVID. Um, I, I can't answer which country has done it best because actually I still think that we're in um the very, very early stages of it. I know people are getting back to work, um, but I we know so so very little about the disease, how it spreads, why some populations are more susceptible than others, and so forth. It's very difficult to um to ascertain which country has has, has done well. But I do think there are some, some broad lessons that are being learned. Um I think Um, across the globe, um, UK um, to Asia, uh, we've learned that public sector systems are underfunded and, you know, uh, even a small increase in activity um, as a result of, of an infectious disease, or it could be, you know, it was, you know, any number of other things, really pushes the health system beyond its capacity. And as a result, you've got lots of, you know, elective operations that have been cancelled, lots of appointments have been put back and, and so on. So there's a definite need to look at how we resource uh, public health systems in the, in the longer term. There's also obviously the digital piece, which we've already um, spoken about, um, but there's a number of things around that as well. So during this time, there's been a great increase in things like um, uh, deliveries of medicines uh, to your door being able to happen, lab tests that are um, self, self-administered and then send, uh, sent into labs. Um, so there's been lots more uh, patient involvement in their own care journey, I would describe it as, which is um, really good because uh, you know that's what we do want in the long term. We want patients as partners rather than as pure patients. So, so that's been a, a positive. And then I think we've also um, seen, and, and we haven't really discussed much around this, uh, the vulnerability of the private sector. Um, so we've, we've seen a, a sustained decline in people going into private hospitals and private clinics um, and putting off surgeries and so forth. Um, And you would think the hospitals might be robust enough to um, weather a storm like this, but they're really not. Uh, A number of them are in very, very fragile positions at the moment. So um, there is some concern about um, how private sector copes when there's big fluctuations in demand like we're seeing now. So there's lots of different um, things that I think people will will be working on in in years to come.
0: Why is that? Is that that because people are sort of looking themselves at home and they feel they can sort of care for themselves and they're worried about contracting things at the moment or is it just about saving money or what what is the reason for that?
1: Um, with a lot of elective operations, it's just simply putting them off um, for investigative tests, um, uh, particularly in the private sector in Asia. Um, I, I would argue that there's probably a degree of over-servicing under normal conditions. Um, so people um, don't like the uh, the watch and wait like we have in the UK. People much prefer to go in and get a test done. Um, so people are now watching and waiting and actually a, a big degree of those um, that the thought they had something, probably have realized that, that they don't. Um, so those procedures are now now unnecessary. Um, and, and yes, in, in terms of kind of self-care and self-management, I think people are taking a much more proactive role in that. And they're weighing up do I go to a clinic practice for my um, lower back ache or do I just kind of self-care? Uh, you know, what's the risk of, of that versus possibly contracting a deadly virus? So uh, patient behavior is beginning to change, but it is
0: having a huge impact on the provider landscape. That's really interesting. I noticed that there was quite a lot of sort of R and D coming out of A Star here in Singapore. Does the committee, does your organization get involved in the R and D that's coming out of those those sort of groups and, and the university groups um into industry?
1: Yes, particularly in the pharmaceutical side of things, Um, there's a lot of connectivity by um, government, academia um, and and pharma companies. Um, And I think at the moment, everyone is um, working very collaboratively, more so than you would see usually. I mean, usually R&D is a a highly competitive uh, space to be in. Um, but people are collaborating and trying to come up with vaccines or, or, or tests or whatever it happens to be in order to, to manage this. That's, that's highly unusual. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that level of collaboration can be pulled through to, to other major disease areas um, like cancer and, and so forth. Um, I'm, I'm not sure because um, it does disrupt the business model somewhat, but um, it's, it's definitely good to see it at the moment. You talked about market
0: access and, and how the committee's, you know, looking at supporting UK companies that are coming into the market here in Singapore, and more broadly around Southeast Asia. Where do you see the future opportunities for UK companies?
1: Um, interesting. I mean, I think there are opportunities um, all over um, Asia at the moment. It really depends um, what it is that people are um, you know, putting forward. Uh, like, like I said, I think there's a huge need for new models of care. Um, so UK companies that are involved in things like setting up day case centres, outsourced services, Um, uh, provision of of some of these digital solutions, not necessarily the telemedicine component, but some of the other parts. Um, There's a huge need for all of those things. Um, There's also an an ongoing need around um, healthcare infrastructure, um, which is is weak in a number of countries, be that hospital building or putting in place um, electronic health record systems and all of the uh, software infrastructure that you need to run an efficient healthcare system. Um, and there's there's a need for advice um, a, a, against all of that, uh, be it legal or, or consulting advice. So there's opportunities across all markets. Um, you know, for us personally, we um, we really see opportunity in in Indonesia. Um, it's a huge market, almost almost the same size as as China, but often overlooked. I'm in favour of, of China um, but actually it's, it's, a, it's a good country to do business in. Uh, Malaysia, Vietnam, um, the, these countries are, are very exciting as well. We've got some of the committee members that are being even bolder and going into some of the real sort of lower um, income countries like Cambodia. I think Harley Street um, Group um, opened a clinic there. That's very, very much needed because the standard of care there is, is so poor. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a number of different uh, ways to do it, but uh, opportunities really are everywhere in in Asia.
0: Uh, definitely, and you know, the, the chamber is here to support those organisations as well, and 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 try and help drive that agenda through the committee. So it's a, it's a great thing that you're that you're doing. Did you set up your first healthcare consulting business age just 26? Is that right?
1: I did, yeah.
0: That's amazing. So, I mean, I mean what, what, what made you want to sort of set up your own business? Um, and at quite a young age as well, it's, it's fantastic to hear sort of your entrepreneurial journey. What were what, what, what the steps that you sort of took um, to set up your consulting business?
1: Um, so my, my role prior to setting up that company, um, was working at a sort of a strategic level within the healthcare system. Um, so L- London, wide, um, and it was sort of health systems related. So you got to see all the different moving, moving parts. Um, and there were loads of very, very interesting projects that, that got commissioned at that level as you would expect. Um, and I, I kind of got a little frustrated because, uh, you know, the, the best of the most interesting projects would go out to consulting firms. And so for me, actually, it was, if I want to work on some of those real cutting edge projects, I have to go out of the health service to consult back in, um, which, is, which is what I did. And my very first client was the, was the NHS. I think things have changed. I don't, I don't think there's as, as much reliance on a consultancy within the NHS as, as there was then, but, but that was certainly the model. So it was kind of out of necessity for the type of work I, I, wanted, uh, I wanted to do.
0: And then what, what brought you to Asia?
1: Um, I did a small piece of work. Um, I had a friend out here um, who was um, working in, in Hong Kong. Uh, she was uh, seconded, in, actually, to to chair the response to, to SARS, um, and she, uh, she took up a post um, at the uh, Chinese University. So I came to work um, on a three-month project when the Hong Kong government maybe 11, 12 years ago were thinking about having a mandatory um, health insurance scheme. Uh, So I was looking at uh, what that would look like and and if it it should go ahead, which my recommendation was yes. Um, And of course we don't have it now, and, uh, um, yeah, I just, I really just enjoyed Asia. It's, um, uh, it's it's kind of, even in the developed markets, it's still, you know, got that kind of Wild West feel to it. And I think you either love that um, or you hate it and, and you can't stand the transparency and you can't stand the uh, um, sort of lack of regulation and, and so forth. Um, but, but I really enjoyed it and always wanted to come
0: back. So I um, was, was very pleased, uh, you know, five, six years ago when I could. How, how do you keep abreast, if, you know, if, if the sector is so secretive in terms of R&D and uh, obviously they're doing a bit more sharing now as you, were, as you were alluding to, but how do you keep abreast of everything that's going on, all of the new tech, um, all the new ideas? How, how do you dissect all that? How do you play that back in terms of the strategies that you're working with your clients?
1: Yeah, I mean a number of different ways. Um, we we have a, um, a sort of in-house uh, data bank which we use and we collect, you know, the hundreds of different uh, you know indicators and, and metrics that are recorded in various PDFs and government spreadsheets, and we we collate that all into into one easy easy to use uh, um, database. Um, but also, um, I think a large part of how we how we gather intelligence is through things like um, the British Chamber. Um, is through networking um, is through having those um, in-person uh, connections they count um they count everywhere in the world but they are vital in asia you just ca- cannot do business if you don't have good uh, personal relationships uh, with people um we don't get um, you know rfps cold here um, you have to know the people um for them to trust you to to do any sort of project so um that connectivity and it runs throughout any uh, you know any industry but really important in healthcare um, it is vital. Um, and so so things like
0: the Chamber are really important in that. That's great. Um, we started to get some listeners on our podcast from from the UK market as well. Have you got any sort of tips or tricks for those that are working within the healthcare life science sector that are perhaps, they they have some ideas or they're looking to explore or expand in, in Singapore or in Singapore and across the ASEAN region?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, no, number one is, is think about where you want to base yourself. Um, you know, we've spoken to a number of UK companies who want to get their first deal in Asia before they'll come out to Asia. That's the wrong strategy as far as we're concerned. You have to have a, um, a presence here. Um, you have to have some of those face-to-face connections and build up your your reputation. Even if it's, you know, just a couple of people, you have to be in market and you have to pick your, your base appropriately. So Singapore is a great base. Um, you've got a lot more protection than you would have in some of the other markets obviously English is widely spoken uh, regulations are easy to understand business um, ease of doing business is, is very high financial uh, you know center and so forth there's a great place to base yourself and start building out your your network and and and, and so forth um, and then figuring out you know What's the, what's the structure of the deal that you want to create here? I know that some have a, have a preference and some, and some want to go JV, some don't want to go JV, um, but I think you need to be on the ground to figure that out and to assess partners. I don't think that can be a desktop exercise where you just do uh, due diligence. I think you have to really be meeting people. Um, so yeah, that would be my, my advice is, you know, get a couple of people out here um, and, and scope it out.
0: Well, that leads me to say a huge thank you to you, you know, for your time today. Some brilliant insights in terms of the opportunities around, you know, in Singapore and also around the ASEAN region, but more broadly around some of your advice around those new market entrants as well. And the Chamber obviously is, 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 is very pleased that you're, you're leading the Healthcare Life Sciences Committee, a really important part of what we do. So thanks very much for your time today.
1: Thank you as always.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can share our podcasts and tag us in with the hashtag BritJamSG on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. For more information on the British Chamber of Commerce in Singapore, please visit www.britcham.org.sg or, should you wish to get involved with our podcasts, please feel free to contact us at infobritcham.org.sg.